Hello and welcome back to Playability, where we hold conversations at the crossroads of gameplay and accessibility. I'm your host, Lauren Wolsey, and I'm here today with Dave Sensenig, who's going to talk to us about his design, Carroll County Cake Swap. Good to have you on, Dave. Hey, Lauren. Thanks for having me. All right. So tell me about this game's backstory. So it came out of a little group that I was attending here in Frederick, Maryland, that does prototyping of computer. They were doing prototyping of computer games at the time. And I was just coming up with a concept so that we could put something down on note cards and do some play testing. And it ended up turning into what would become Carroll County Cake Swap. And I just had such a great time creating this game that it just kind of went from, you know, hey, this is something fun we can do this evening to, oh, maybe people would actually like to buy this and I could bring a product to market. That's always a fun revelation to have. Is this your first finished game that you've designed? It is, yes. If this started out as a sort of, let's just try this tonight, and it came to a fully fledged game, and, and I saw you with a booth and everything at Unpub. Can you walk me through the game's development path? Like, what kind of milestones did you did you hit as you were going through its development? Sure. Well, it started out as a very abstract game. I was just interested in the concept of layers and being restricted as to what you could play later in the game based on what you had played earlier. And I wasn't sure what direction to go with the theme. I was initially thinking something like tower building, maybe like a pagoda or something where you're, you're getting progressively smaller levels each time. And people really were interested in the idea of cake when I kind of suggested that as an alternative. That's certainly a, a more fun and unique theme, I think. Yeah. And, you know, that's that's just kind of one way I think thematically that accessibility played into the development of the game was, you know, I kind of a nerdy like <laughs> mindset of like a mathematical approach to it. And, and people were really more into this kind of shared experience. And so then when, when I was initially thinking, okay, it'll be, it'll be cake then, it was like, well, what's the context? You know, are these wedding cakes? Are you building a shop and selling cakes? And I'm a big fan of the Great British Bake Off. And so the well, idea of kind of like, you know, a, a, a competition that's kind of like friendly, like, you know, you want to win, but you're also just doing it to enter and to have fun. And, <laughs> and I found people really connected with that. And so that kind of led me to the style of gameplay and everything it was really how people wanted to interact with the game. And I kind of let that lead some of the mechanics and the rules to really end up with what it is today. So what are the primary mechanics that this game uses? Sure. So it is a tiling card game. So you're actually creating a tiered cake by overlapping these cards that you're either drawing from a deck or the, the mechanic that's kind of the most fun is that you get to draft cards that other people have discarded. So you don't have a hand of cards. You either have to play something immediately onto your cake platter or you have to give it into this kind of general area where anybody can take it. And you're building different patterns. And so obviously you want to have a cake that looks really good and it's going to get you the most points. But sometimes making your own cake really good is giving something away to somebody else. And I just love watching the tension of people kind of figuring out, like, I don't need this, but somebody else does. And can I bear to give this up if it's going to cost me points and, and maybe give them a, a big boost? Yeah, those sound like some really good choices to make. Yeah, yeah, it really um, 
adds a, a neat level to the the kind of randomness. There's gives some control to it. And then there's there's ribbons that you get from building your cakes. And so while each type of cake pattern is worth points, you can only build each exact pattern and size of cake once per game. So it really forces you to change up your gameplay throughout the game. And it also allows you to to go after other people and has some kind of subtle take that. If you're really keeping an eye on your opponents, then you can... Um, well, hopefully you can do it to them, but they might also do it to you, you know, if they're <laughs> stealing away a ribbon or something that you're going after. Right, absolutely. And so at the end of the game, you're looking for just how many ribbons you were able to collect? So you're, you're looking for a total point value. So the game ends if somebody reaches 31 or more points. And so it, it gets a little bit mathy in that way. There's some... It's a, It's not easy to get 31 right away the way that the ribbons are distributed. There's a, a large variance in how many points the ribbons are worth. And, you know, there's a limited number of cards to the deck. And so you really have to not only just kind of draw and hope you get lucky, but you have to craft carefully in order to be able to, to make it. Very neat. So we should turn now to the focus of playability. And you've mentioned it once already, but the question that we ask all of our guests, what does accessibility mean to you? So for me, accessibility is really about taking on other people's perspectives. And one of the reasons why I'm so fascinated by the topic is through my day job as an instructional designer, I have had a lot of exposure to different concepts of accessibility and universal design. And whenever you're creating a product, knowing your audience and designing for them is really is really crucial. And I think, you know, we're gradually becoming more and more aware of who that audience is and expanding that audience. And so to me, you know, accessibility means designing for the fringes that might not always get that focus, but really designing for everybody in every context and, and thinking about where people might be playing games and who might be playing those games. So yeah, so those are a lot of the factors that were kind of in the back of my mind as I made decisions in developing the game. Certainly. Do you have any specific examples of decisions you made in the game design process with accessibility in mind? Sure. So, you know, one of the things that I think is most easy for people to grasp is colorblindness. You know, games are very visual, and that's one that people are very familiar with. And this game, color is a very critical part of the gameplay. You have different colors of frosting that you're using to make your patterns in your cake. So you need to be able to tell the difference between the red, the orange, the yellow, the green, and the blue if you're going to be able to to make a, a meaningful cake and get points. So you know, I wanted it to be pretty, I wanted it to be attractive, but I also knew right away that it was going to have to communicate the different types to different people. So I used different shaped fruit on top of the frosting in order to provide some additional context in case somebody had trouble working out the colors. And what was interesting to me was that that level of accessibility was really not just important for people who are have different types of, you know, colorblindness, but it was really helpful for normally sighted people as well. I struggled a lot to get my red and my orange to look different. And I would advise anybody who's playtesting games to do it in like different lighting settings because oh, absolutely. One time we, you know, we went to a bar and it was like, oh, on my bright monitor at home, it was very obvious that these were two different colors. And then you get into like a dim bar 
and you're looking across the table and there's kind of a glare on the cards because they're shiny or whatever. And like you realize how important it is to like use a large font or really provide enough contrast or use different texture or whatever to make these things stand out. Yeah. And they, and they benefit everybody. Right. Exactly. Not just for those people who need it, but like everybody, it kind of incre- it decreases your cognitive load if you can just glance at something easily and go, oh, yeah, I know what that's for. Yeah, absolutely. Now, you mentioned that you teach about universal design. Can you define that quickly for our listeners? Yeah. So I don't actually teach it, but I have, through my education, uh, learned a little bit about it. And it's really just the principle of designing in ways that are beneficial to everybody. And so, you know, we typically think of accessibility, I think, as something that's going to be helpful for somebody who has a disability, or like I said, is, you know, maybe in a group that isn't as mainstream. But the principles of universal design are really that everybody benefits from good design. And, you know, going back again to that perspective, it's really, you know, when, when you're making it easier for some people, you can make it easier for a lot of people. And this really came home to me. I did an internship with the National Association of Home Builders, which was they had some like elements of really physical accessibility in, in house building. And, mm-hmm. you know, things like having a lever on a doorknob instead of, you know, a knob, like it's, yeah, it can be helpful for somebody who has arthritis or who has a difficult time grasping a knob. It's also helpful if you've got like a bag of groceries in your hand, right? So, right, yeah, we're all we all have needs in in different ways, and so I think looking at it as kind of a way to benefit people universally rather than just a certain population can be really helpful. Awesome. Now, with the way that you designed your game and and the mechanics involved, who did you picture as your target audience? You know, I I don't know that I really had one initially. But as it developed, again, it was there was something that like seemed to bring everybody together about the theme of cake. And I think it has a particular appeal to it has a bit of a youthful nature to it. It's got pastels, it's pretty, it's about frosting and, and baking. But I also wanted to do it in a way that wasn't pandering to any group. And so it's like I tried to have a little bit more of adult style to the artwork, but I wanted to have representation across all age groups and ethnicities and genders and everything in the in the characters as well, because this is the kind of thing that I think everybody can appreciate. You know, everybody enjoys a good contest in the local community and everybody likes cake. <laughs> so I I just I found too the people you know, grandparents, families, teenage friends, like it, it, the different types of people that have played the game and like gotten into it always surprises me. That's always fun. What would you say is your favorite part of the game? Like as you're playing it or as you're watching players play? Yeah, I'm a very experiential player in games. And and so I just, I love that tension of watching somebody pick something up and have to figure out what they're going to do with it. I also like when something just like serendipitous happens and somebody has been holding out for the perfect piece and they don't think that they're going to get it. And then like they draw the one thing they need and that scores them the victory. Or honestly, like I also like a little bit of schadenfreude and like, you'll see somebody 
who has been like waiting for like four turns for the perfect piece that they want. And then they like are just like, oh, I'm just going to turn in the cake the way it is now and give up. And then like they get the piece the very next turn. It's just I love all the unexpectedness of the emotional experiences that people have in playing the game, you know, more than any kind of like strategery. Definitely. That is what I think we all come to the table for is is to have that connection with people and, and to have those experiences. So it sounds like a lot of fun. For our listeners who are interested in getting a copy of the game, where can they get a copy? So right now it is available on the Jealous Cat Games website, www.jealouscatgames.com. I do have a limited number of prints available right now because I did a small print run, but it will be coming to Kickstarter at the end of July. So if you're listening to this in the future and there are no more available online, please sign up for the email list and I can let you know when the Kickstarter comes out. Perfect. And how can people connect with you on social media? I am on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and it's all Jealous Cat Games. So if you type that in, you should find me. Well, Dave, thank you so much for talking with me today about Carroll County Cake Swap, and I look forward to playing it. Awesome. Thank you, Lauren. Have a good one. You too. For more information about the topics that we discussed in this episode and the links that we just mentioned, we'll have those in the About This Episode section on our website at playabilitypod.com. And if our listeners have any questions or comments that you would like to share with us, please email us at playabilitypod at gmail.com and find us on major social media platforms as at playabilitypod. Thanks again for listening. Play with a new perspective. 